Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day and for this time to come together in your name and to share with um, the community our hearts, our faith, and especially your sacred heart, Lord. And we ask Mother Mary to be in the details to help us to see where we are going and um, to illuminate the path towards her son. And we pray together. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I trust in you. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. I'm super excited today. I, I don't think I've ever had an author on the show. I'm, I'm staring at uh, her book. We're, we'd like to welcome Miss Kelly Bro to the show. Thank you for having me. So her, she has a book called Hiding in the Upper Room, and uh, and just really um, as as uh, the person who, who who came up with the idea of Cajun Catholics and and to feature all these wonderful, outstanding Catholics in Acadiana, and I think I've really found the real deal right here, and I'm happy that the, the Holy Spirit has put us together. But Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my husband and I live in Brobridge, Louisiana. We have four children, one on earth and three in heaven. Um, our twins were born in 2005 after a placental abruption, and um, tragically, they both passed away almost four years apart. Our son was 15 days old, and our daughter was almost four years old. And then we lost a, uh, a daughter. I'm sorry, we had a daughter, and then we had a, a miscarriage in 2012. So it's been a very long journey. Um, Ron and I, it'll be 18 years we are married in July. That's a long time. It's a long time. Beautiful. <laughs> so tell me a little about your, your childhood. Where are you from? And Yeah, so the fun part of all this is that Todd and I have gotten to reconnect. So my story, my dad and his older brother were good friends growing up and loved the horse races. So a lot of my Chasing child- those ponies. <laughs> a lot of my childhood was in Evangeline Downs. In fact, I taught my husband uh, when we were dating how to read a racing program. Ooh, Kelly. <laughs> He had never met a girl that knew how to read a racing program. A lady of my heart. <laughs> so that's the fun part. Um, but it's been beautiful to be able to reconnect and to um, just share, like, how I remember your mom, too. Like, I was telling Todd that one of my favorite childhood memories was playing in their house with that slot machine that they had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom was an antique dealer for a long time and had an antique slot machine and uh, had a lot of fun with that when we were kids. But, you know, interestingly enough, I grew up on the backstretch at the track and in and, and, and the parking lot pitching pennies and, uh, and you know, reading the racing farm at probably the age of five or six. And I think most of my friends' parents thought I was nuts. And, uh, you know, that was probably not a very wholesome place. But it actually was, I thought, you know. And I think that there's a lot of spirituality on the backstretch at the track. You know, um, I, I've always enjoyed going there early in the morning. We had some horses because it's never a good investment. I think <laughs> Kelly will agree yeah. on that one. But uh, but it, it was a great place to grow up for me. I think so. You know, Kelly, I want to know. Um, I'd like to. You know, what 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 was your faith life like when you were a child? And then yeah, uh, so my mom and dad um, really struggled in their marriage with you know my dad with uh, the horse. He had a gambling um, addiction, 
um, though he would never admit it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. my mom prayed her way for him for a long, long time. Um, but during this time with when their marriage suffered, uh, my mom actually left the Catholic Church. So when I was about six or seven, uh, we started going to a non-denominational church. And that was really the formation that I remember. Um, I don't remember before that. Uh, when I met Ryan in uh, 1999, he asked about my faith, and he was a cradle Catholic. His uh, grandmother would break rosaries praying, and his faith life was formed by her. And um, one of the things I can remember him telling me is he's like, I like you, but I'm not going to your church. <laughs> and looking back on um, just you know how like God structures the family and how the man is supposed to lead. And Ryan was doing that before he even knew he was supposed to. So I just always, you know, thank him for being the man of the house and saying, I am not, I'm not going to that church because my truth and my faith lies in the Eucharist and um, in the Catholic church. Um, So because I was baptized Catholic, our priest didn't make me make uh, my confirmation And so Ron and I were married July 13th of 2002. I'm trying to think about that. That's bad. And um, I can say that I became Catholic because I wanted to marry Ryan, Um, not really understanding the depths of the theology, um, really not even understanding, you know, the whole Mary thing, which is, uh, you know, when we prayed the rosary, growing up that I remember it was at funeral so it was a very sad prayer and I struggled with it um but I knew over time that if I wanted you know to become Catholic and to live out the Catholic faith that there was things that I was going to have to you know learn it quickly got I guess jaded uh seven months after Ryan and I got married he um was in a dirt bike accident we were racing, well, he was racing in Splendora, Texas, and he landed on a 55-gallon drum on the top of a, a jump that projected him um, in the air, and he landed on his head. Mm. Whenever he got on the stretcher to the ambulance, he couldn't get, um, he couldn't get off of the, I'm sorry, of the four-wheeler to get on the stretcher. Um, so he thought he was paralyzed, and Whenever uh, we got to the first hospital, you know, they did the, all the tests, the MRI and the CT and all that, and noticed that he had a severe um, T4. Um, his T3 and T5 had, had actually shattered and dislodged his T4. Um, his sternum was uh, crushed. So, you know, just, just all these realities that he probably should have died in that accident, but by the grace of God, he survived. And I think for him, that was the start of his conversion. It was very gently. Um, He knew something had happened during that time that God had saved him, Um, but it wasn't, um, I guess, enough to, like, change our whole life. Uh, But God, of course, he uses good in all, and um, he, he recovered, and we started trying to have a family. Um, after three and a half years, we were not pregnant. And I was struggling with just understanding like what, what God was doing. We have a family history of infertility, me and my sister, almost nine years apart. And so I knew that it there could be a possibility, but you never think that you're going to be that person 
who struggles to get pregnant because, you know, couples aren't supposed to like, you know, or as Catholics, we're supposed to, you know, be open to life. But here we are, we were, you know, just everyone was just perplexed. Like there was not a reason that they could give us why Ron and I couldn't conceive after three, um, I'm sorry, four rounds of infertility shots. We conceived on our own with twins, and we were surprised. Um, Talon and Emma were born on October 16th of 2005. My placenta abrupted at only 28 weeks. I was rushed into the hospital, um, had emergency C-section, with the words from my OB that they possibly could be born not alive. They could possibly not cry even if they were born. So just a lot of fear and anxiety. When I was writing the book and trying to understand where God had brought me through this this time, um, there was one thing that I realized was that whenever you're in a C-section, same way that they laid Christ on the cross, you know, you're naked and afraid, you're laying your life down for someone, um, that reality that I was laying my life down for my baby, my babies, they lay you in the cruciform. Um, and it never dawned on me until that moment, you know, I think it was like 12 years later that that, that had happened to me. And that in that moment that God was with me, but, you know, you don't see it. All, all you see is the fear, the anxiety, the worry. It's hard to see where God is because he's, you know, he's hidden. And, um, it was very short-lived, uh, the fear and the anxiety. They came out crying. I was, you know, I thought that God had, like, saved them in that moment. Um, the next morning, we woke up to um, the doctors. There was five doctors in our room, which is never a good sign. Mm-hmm. And um, they told us that they thought that Talon had Down syndrome, that they were going to test him, and we would know in 10 days. So 10 days later came back into our room and confirmed he had trisomy 1 diagnosis. He had Down syndrome, but he also had two holes in his heart and had other complications that we would have to, um, you know, worry about. Three days later, Talon was diagnosed with pseudomonas sepsis, and at day 15, um, a sweet nun came to baptize him, and around 10 o'clock that night, he died. And that was when... My first, I guess, real heartache came because even though Ryan's accident was a struggle on our life, he, you know, he was saved and um, we could get through all of that. But for the first time, um, like God brought me down to my knees and it was just total darkness. Um, My grief got put on hold because Emma was still in the NICU. The day that we had buried Talon, um, we were told that Emma had also had an infection. It was different. It was MRSA, which is staph, and it's a resistant staph, which they call them um, non-tacomial infections. They're kind of superbugs in the NICU, very dangerous, and a lot of things can happen to babies who get these infections, and um, it caused Emma to have three vascular aneurysms. She was uh, flown to... Um, Dallas, the Fort Worth area, to cook children. She underwent an eight-hour surgery. She actually survived, even though the mortality rate was so high, and came home back to Louisiana to um, to grow at the hospital. And she came home three days after 
her due date on 10 different medicines and on um, oxygen 24 hours. When she was two years old, we were told that one of the aneurysms that had clotted off after the surgery had damaged her growth plate and um, that she was going to have to have her leg amputated. Oh, God. So we started back on the road um, trying to find a doctor who could prevent um, this limb from being um, taken. And we found a doctor in Baltimore, Tech, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, that actually could do a limb lengthening surgery in between the time that she was two and a half till three and a half. Um, his practice was moved to, Fort, to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. And on July 13th, on our seventh year anniversary, Ryan and I packed up um, the girls because I forgot to tell you guys, we had a baby in the middle of this. <laughs> <laughs> so we were able to get pregnant on our own uh, without medicine. And uh, we packed up the girls, and we headed to West Palm Beach, Florida. We went to Disney World, and it was during the time of the pandemic of H1N1. And so up across the United States, no one really knew about how dangerous and deadly it was. And so for children like Emma, who was immunocompromised, um, it wreaked havoc on her. Uh, the night of her surgery, she started uh, having febrile seizures, um, and seven weeks later, she died. And that was when the real chasm of my faith, I think, really actually happened. Because during the time that she was, she was here, you know, I was still praying. I was still hoping and believing in God because I knew the God that I loved, um, he wouldn't do this to me twice. So when that reality or that lie that I believe that, you know, he, he was taking her away, um, when it was manifested into my heart and I believed it to be true, I was so angry at God. It's not that I thought that he had, you know, that he didn't exist. That was not me losing my faith. My losing my faith was that I didn't know if God was good and if he loved me. And that was where the enemy came into my heart and um, really just uh, created poison. You know, Ron and I's marriage was almost destroyed because... What people don't tell you when you lose someone, especially a child, is um, what grief really does to a person, to their marriage, to their heart, to their relationships. And it was more than I could physically do on my own. Um, I needed God in a big way, but I just was so mad at him. So, you know, instead of being open to the graces that God was trying to pour into my heart, what I did was become my own obstacle. I was trying to self-protect my heart, and uh, I created just, you know, I closed the door on him, and I didn't allow that to come. I was my own worst enemy for, for many, many, many years. Ryan um, didn't know really what to do with me. He, you know, was trying to be strong for the family, and in trying to be strong, what happens is you don't really talk about what's going on. He suppressed his grief so that... Um, I could grieve. His grief got put on the back burners. And eventually when you don't are scared of talking about it, you stop talking about it. And that felt like emotional abandonment in our marriage. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Today's guest is Miss Kelly Bro. She is the author of Hiding in the Upper Room. She's from Bro Ridge, and she's a beautiful soul. And it's just uh, hard to hear these stories. But... Um, Golly, I mean, how could y'all go through so much, you know? But I want you to continue on with your story, please. 
Yeah, so over the years, we had a lot of advice and a lot of suggestions from people who had not lost children. And so my truth was, you have no idea what this pain is like. And I wouldn't allow anyone to offer these suggestions until I had a good friend who lost a child in a very tragic accident, um, my friend Misty and Shane um, Thibodeau. Their, uh, Missy and Isley, their daughter, was driving home from the Carrie Underwood concert, leaving the Cajun Dome, and a drunk driver hit them head-on um, under the underpass on University at Four Corners, and Isley died, and it brought me to my knees. God had ripped open the band-aid that I was trying to protect my heart, and it just really hit close to home. I thought that I was going to be the friend that um, I desperately desired and rushed to Misty's side. And although she tells me all the time, like, Kelly, you helped me the most, I quickly realized that Misty and I were grieving from a different place. Like she was grieving with God and I wasn't. And while she stood at the foot of the cross and emulated Mary, I ran away from the cross. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to pick it up. And people who would tell me, you know, offer it up, carry a cross, I just really wanted to punch them in the face. (laughs) It was... Easy for them to say. (laughs) Easy for them to say. This was the hardest thing that I've ever endured in my life. And... I needed love and compassion and mercy and understanding. And what I felt that I got was judgment and, you know, how to help me book, you know. And it was, um, it's just, it just, it created, I think, additional layers of uh, healing that I've had. You know, I've had to forgive people who've said the most ridiculous things to me in my grief. And, you know, God, you know, Jesus tells them, forgive them for they know not what they do. And although that was, you know, my intention, it didn't come across that way. (laughs) Um, But Misty, um, the day that she was going to bury Isley, the day that, I'm sorry, the day that they buried Isley, she was going to leave to make a crucio. And we had been asked several times to make a crucio, Ryan and I both, during, uh, you know, the 12 years. And we told him no. We, uh, for me, it was the same thing I was telling you, you trying to fix me. Um, I don't need your help. And Ryan's was, um, he wasn't angry at God. So he thought all along, I'm, I didn't lose my faith. I'm still praying. Um, I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm not in a bar. I haven't created this. I haven't um, entered into mortal sin. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a, good, I'm a good person. And he wasn't. And neither was I. We weren't good people. We were, we were not going to church. We were, um, when we would go to church, you know, we were consuming the Eucharist and mortal sin, creating more poison to our body, but we had no idea. We didn't know any of this. Um, so when Misty, a couple months later, asked me to make my crucio, I, of course, gave her an excuse. <laughs> Even though I didn't feel ju- judged by her, I still tried to deflect the um, the advice and I told her that I hadn't made my confirmation and that I needed to make my confirmation before I made Crisio. And my friend Shandy was there that day, and she sold me out real quick. She said, you don't have to make your confirmation to make Crisio. She said, but if it's important to you, I'm going to make my I'm gonna make my confirmation with you. And for the first time, I had people not giving me advice, but I had people that were entering into that suffering with me. And that was different. That wasn't 
you know, the judgment that was coming, you know, from people who truly were trying to help, just didn't know how. But um, my friends, they came to bat for me and they, you know, did this with me. So in... Um, just just would comment, they're not saying, yeah. uh, you know, don't carry your cross, let me help you carry your cross. Correct. You know? they, were, they were really... Um, these these women were Simon and Cyrene and Veronica's with you know with me yeah. on that on that journey um, and um, I forgot where I was going with this. So you were, you, you, you made Curcio. I made yeah. So oh, okay, what was so, it like after Curcio? Okay, so um, Curcio was a three day walk with the Holy Spirit, and um, I met the real person of Jesus Christ. You know, God was no longer a figment of my imagination. He wasn't Santa Claus to me or a genie that I could rub. All along, I thought that I'd put my money into a vending machine and, you know, my prayer would come out exactly how I had prayed it. And that's not who God is. And all along, you know, I, um, that's how I was loving God. And I know today that you know, God just wants to be loved for who He is, but not for who for what He gives us. The same way, the same thing as us. You know, when we expect we expect that same unconditional love from others, um, but my love was conditional, and I learned um, just exactly what had happened to me. And that that day, the first day. Crucio, I think I was kind of mad at my friends for what they dragged me into because I had to face myself and I had to face the ugliness of my heart. Um, I couldn't see others' pain. All I could see was my own. You know, I thought I was in a rowboat all my, by myself, but really we're all in the rowboat and we're all sick and needing a savior. And um, that's who I met at the Crucio Center. And I've been given a gift, and I wanted to give back. So I left there, just kind of like, like God use me. I want to be your instrument. Um, it was a very radical Saul to Paul moment, and I didn't kind of, I didn't like. No one really knew what to do with me. My poor husband said, "You came home, and you were different. You were floating. You were like, whoa." <laughs> and um, you were pinging. Yeah, I was pinging, and he was he was watching me, and I didn't. Um, I didn't. Tr- I didn't pressure him, although I wanted him to make Crisio. Um, But that that was in April of 2017. In August of 2017, Ryan went to the Man to Man conference, and he was in line with the bishop to make confession. He hadn't made his confession in 15 years, and um, he got out of line because he's like, "I am not doing that." <laughs> went in through. Went into another line, and because he was so nervous, he went into the wrong door. And found himself face to face with Father Jim Brady, and during his confession, he was convinc- convicted by the Holy Spirit to tell Father Brady what had happened to us over the last fifteen years uh, of our marriage. And Father Brady asked Ryan if we would go to share our story at his parish when he was still at St. Landry. They had had five families of loss um, in one year. And he gave his number to Ryan, and Ryan came home, and when he asked me, I was like, I am not doing that. Mm-hmm. I am not talking and wa- letting people watch me cry. Like, I, I can't do that. And um, when that door was opened to our heart, and then I started thinking about it, God, um, he started putting people in our life. I started meeting people of child loss where I had never known anyone before, Misty and Shane, really, personally. Um, I would meet up around the Acadiana area 
with families that have heard their story and had never been given the opportunity because I wasn't in a place that I could help. And if you don't help yourself, you cannot help others. You can't give what you have not already been given. And um, I realized, you know, over those eight months that that God had convicted me and he had anointed Ron and I for this mission and that we ultimately said yes, even though it was scary and I was afraid and um, it, it required me to be so vulnerable and to share like the most intimate details of my life. You know, it's hard. It's hard to um, write a book. It's, uh, my friend explains it as psychotherapy every day that you're writing this book and she's right. Like there's things that my brain has suppressed and God was able to bring that to the surface to help other people because there's a lot of people who don't want to talk about it, but they, um, they're so in the fog and they can't see what's happening to them. And until you can name those feelings and really bring it to the foot of the cross, you, um, you struggle really. Wow. I mean, I'm speechless over here. I'm so proud of just to know her and so honored to be here and hear this testimony. It's so powerful. Uh, So many questions come to mind, and we've gone through most of the show. We've probably got only a few minutes left, but (laughs) how long did it take to write the book? It took took me about a year to write it and two years to publish it. So I started really right after Curcio, and it was released on Good Friday of this year. And um, if you're looking for a copy, um, they're around town, uh, Katie and Religious, Crossroads, and you can also go on our website at www.hidinginthepperroom.com, or you can reach out to me personally. My email is kelly at raybird.love. Okay, and so <clears throat> I've been to the upper room, and mm-hmm. uh, have you been to the, to the no. Holy Land? Mm-mm. It's pretty pretty impressive. It's pretty special, and uh, you know that's something from our Holy Land trip that my daughter and I experienced, and I, I wish I had time to go into it. There's so many wonderful things that are there it's such a special place, and uh, I think it's so why the name. So John 20, 19, 19 through 20 is when um, John writes about when Jesus entered the, the upper room with his wounds, and he shows um, the apostles who were hiding in fear his wounds. It wasn't just to, sh- to tell Thomas um, or to, well, really to tell the apostles that, you know, I really did do what I say I was going to do. It was an invitation for them to share their wounds. And for all along, I was um, scared and I was afraid to show mine because of the shame that was involved in it. And that was, um, Jesus was telling me that this is where you need to go. You, you, you need me. You need my resurrected body and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, four of the Four of the sacraments were instituted in the upper room, so it's a very special place. And we are all um, asked to go into our own upper rooms to meet Christ face to face, especially in you know our struggles and in um, the places that that our wounds bring. Wow! Just just a sidebar note for for the Cajun Catholic uh, listeners out there, you know, in the upper room there are pelicans everywhere on the pillars, and uh, the story of the pelican and, and being the Louisiana state bird is because the pelican kills himself to to let the let the little baby chicks eat when when they don't have food. So it's just a, the ultimate expression of the Eucharist, and yeah. it's just a, a beautiful story and a place. So um, again, Kelly Bro has been our guest today. She's just a, such an awesome person. I'm so proud that. 
had this opportunity to, to be with her today. What a powerful testimony. We're all so blessed. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Um, we feature outstanding Catholics from all over Acadia. And I hope we'll have Kelly back on the show soon because we didn't get to talk enough. <laughs> but uh, if you miss it, you can hear the show on uh, SoundCloud.com if you Google Cajun Catholics. But until then, God bless you all. And, and always remember to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks.